All right. We continue the sermon series on the glory of God. And first, some background. And then we will go verse by verse. Second Corinthians, and please excuse me for the slide from Second Corinthians 4, which is printed in your bulletin, to 2 Corinthians 3. Because as I studied this, the, the major points that I felt the Lord just really wanted me to bring out even though I tried to make them in 2 Corinthians 4, they just kept sliding back to 2 Corinthians 3. So I said, okay, God, you got me. I'll, I'll go here. Um, so this is the way the Spirit led. But uh, it was very interesting studying uh, 2 Corinthians' background. Some of you who have been to Athens, Greece, have been to Mars Hill. It's just a rock that Paul stood on and preached. It's mentioned in, Athens, in Acts. And uh, Caroline and I have been there. And, and Paul was in Athens. And he went from Athens to Corinth. It's a uh, town west of Athens. Not very far. And at the time it was a major city, a very corrupt city. Uh, it was kind of like Las Vegas. Um, so the congregation that Paul planted there, the church plant there, <clears throat> he stayed 18 months and worked on this church plant. And then he left. Well, after he left, the church plant had struggles. Because there was one group of people that said, we should separate ourselves from all the sin that we see in our city. And we should be, this will help us to become more holy and set apart to God. And then there was another group over here that said, no, we should engage the city. If this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to interact with the sinners and bring them in. The problem was both sides were right and both sides were wrong. Because the interaction that the one side did not want to have, they, were, they took it to the extreme and they wanted to almost become uh, like monks and totally isolate themselves from the culture. And this is not what we are to do nor w what they were to do. And the other side, they were, they were uh, so at ease with the sinful culture, uh, I think they let that become a part of them and there was... You know, they would be at the Lord's Supper and just getting drunk with the people they were trying to bring in. And so there were divisions. Uh, and so the Corinthians wrote a letter to Paul and they said, Paul, we need to we need to find out some information. We need to know about marriage and divorce. We need to know about uh, some, you know, whether it's good to stay away or, or engage the culture. We just need some more help. So. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to that. That 1 Corinthians was the letter responding to that letter from the Corinthian church. Well, later on, this church plant was really struggling still. And Paul had gone back to Antioch after a second missionary journey where he started the Corinthian church plant. 
And he now is on his third missionary journey. He goes, he goes to Ephesus, uh, and uh, he's there, and he hears that the Corinthians church is just really going downhill fast. It is splitting apart. And so Paul says, I've got to catch a flight. <sighs> Go talk to them. So he goes over to Corinth uh, for the second time. And during that time, some new folks had come in, apparently, and they challenged Paul's authority. They challenged even his integrity of, what exactly are you doing with this support that you're raising for the poor people in Jerusalem? Where is the accountability, Paul? We want to see the books. And also your apostleship. I mean, you weren't really one of the original twelve. And so, it was not a good visit for Paul to the Corinthian church. And he comes back and he writes a very strong letter to the Corinthians. A very strong letter. Now, there's three possibilities of what happened to this letter. Number one, some commentators think that was really 1 Corinthians. Number two, some commentators say it was lost. We don't have it anymore. It's just gone. And third, some commentators say, actually, we do have it. It's tacked as the last three or four chapters of 2 Corinthians. And really, the letter to 2 Corinthians was, was uh, just nine chapters. And then the last four was that actually strong letter. So Paul comes back. He sends Titus with this letter to the Corinthian church. And he says, um, and he wants them to read it. And basically calling them to repent, to be brokenhearted, and get their act together. Strong words, strong letter. And so Paul is nervous. Paul is like pacing. He's like, I don't know how they're going to receive this. I don't know if it's going to be any good. I, I mean, we just may lose it all together. It just may, we may lose this one to the devil. I don't know. So he's pacing, and so he says, you know, I'm going to leave here. I'm going to go to uh, Philippi, maybe Macedonia. And I'm going to wait for Titus there. So he goes there, uh, just north of Thessaloniki. And uh, so Titus comes to him, and Paul's like, so, how was it? And Titus says, we're good. We're good. They received the letter with joy and loyalty. They repented. They are on the right track. They're good. So Paul, so relieved, writes a letter of just thanksgiving with relief in his heart and just gratitude that everything works out. This is 2 Corinthians. This is 2 Corinthians. So, with that background, understanding the gratitude and just the joy, the freedom now that Paul has to say, oh, I'm so glad. Look, and he begins to defend himself, but not in a way of, of, of tightness, but kind of like, remember when we were having those problems? Well, now that we don't have those problems anymore, I just want to tell you, this is all I was trying to say. And this is, this is what uh, we see. So, the apostles, like Paul and the other apostles, were transitioning God's one church from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And keep in mind, we're, this is the, we're talking about God's glory here. So this is the overarching 
thing, God's, God's glory. So the apostles were busy transitioning from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the one true church of God. And in a sense, they were also transitioning uh, God's one church from Old Testament glory to New Testament glory, teaching them the difference between those two, which really is the gospel, the good news. And the old way, and you're going to hear Paul in this passage talk about the old way and the new way, at least in the... I, I chose to preach this morning from the New Living Translation. Uh, I love the ESV, and I know most good Reformed folks are very comfortable with the ESV, uh, but uh, I just like the way that the uh, New Living Translation put this today. So you're going to hear him talk about the old way, the new way, meaning the Old Covenant, meaning Old, old Testament. So covenant, way, testament, all interchangeable here. So the old way was to keep the law, which we couldn't. The fall was so completely devastating, Adam and Eve, that we were unable and we did not have the ability to obey God. And so the law showed us our depravity, and that's what it was supposed to do. So God, that was the old way. The, the Ten Commandments, keeping the Ten Commandments. If you keep, the, keep these Ten Commandments, then you're good. Then you and I are right. Problem was, no one could keep the Ten Commandments. Not a single person alive. Then and now. So God provided a new way. That way was to fulfill His requirements Himself. In the person of Jesus. So here, as we begin our text this morning, Paul is explaining to the church plant at Corinth in this very exciting letter full of thanksgiving and relief. He's explaining this very thing to the church plant. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 6. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. So you can see Paul explaining the difference between the old and the new covenant. Verse 7, the old way with laws etched in stone led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Two things on this verse. One, Paul here is beginning to explain to us and the Corinthians Old Testament glory. Secondly, note the temporary nature of this old covenant glory. Fading away. There's a reason for that. Verse 8. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? So Paul shows the old covenant couldn't give eternal life. And that was not its intention. But with the new covenant, the Holy Spirit does give 
eternal life. Verse 9. If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? So the Old Testament, Paul is saying the Old Testament still does have glory. There's still glory in the Old Testament. It was not one big catastrophic mistake, and God has to go back to the drawing board. Oh, I messed up on this one. Let's try again. That was not it. This was intentional designed, destined God's plan. So the Old Testament plan was still glorious, but the new way is much more glorious because it does what the law could not. It makes us right with God. And this is the treasure. This is our treasure. So Paul continues to drive home the point in verse 10. He says, in fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So in verse 11, if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? as opposed to the fading glory of the old way. Verse 12, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. The point, I, I love this point, Paul is trying to say, we, in my notes I italicized it and made it bold, we don't have to be perfect. Oh, I'm so glad. We don't have to be perfect. We can be bold in the perfection of Christ on the cross. This morning, the devil was attacking me, saying, Mike, you are not worthy to preach this sermon this morning. There's a lot of junk in your life, and you're really not worthy to preach. And finally, after learning to cast not only my cares and my anxieties on the Lord, but Christ is teaching me to cast my shame on Him too. I fling it onto the cross because He paid for that shame as well. And there I let it rest. And then I hold my head high and I say to the devil, You are right. I am not worthy, but Christ is worthy to be preached about. And so I hold my head high, knowing I am a clay vessel with a treasure. We don't have to be perfect. We can be bold in the perfection of Christ on the cross. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. No. We are meant to see, you and I in this room and the Corinthians, we are meant to see the brightness of the glory of God reflected in the face of Jesus. 
as we look at verse 14, we get a glimpse of the struggle Paul and the rest of the apostles had to deal with as they tried to transition the church, teaching them first that the glory of the old covenant, which was the utter holiness of God as expressed in the perfect keeping of the law, was now over. It was fulfilled. It wasn't just done away with. It was fulfilled. And now, secondly, it was replaced by the glory on the face of Jesus in the light of His death, burial, and resurrection. This is the New Testament glory. This is the treasure. So, let's look at their struggle as Paul shares with him as we zoom back into the New Testament time and listen to Paul just trying to complete this mission of being an apostle. Transitioning the glory. Verse 14. But the people's minds, Paul is saying, the people's minds were hardened. I've been trying, guys. The people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, that they love so much, the same veil covers their minds so that they cannot understand the truth. You see Paul's heart. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Verse 15. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they don't understand. Paul's saying they don't get it. Look at verse 16, though. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So, let this encourage you as you share with others this treasure that's in your heart, this glory we carry and cherish In jars of clay. Verse 17. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When the veil is taken away, there's freedom. Freedom from what? From having to keep the law, obviously. There's grace and forgiveness which allows us to reflect that glory. What is a way you can reflect that glory? Well, in a way, I just did it for you. I shared with you in a vulnerable moment that the devil was attacking me, that I am not worthy to share, to preach this morning. But what did I tell you? I told you that Christ is changing me and teaching me that I can cast my shame on Him. And that He died for that shame as well. I can just fling that shame on Him so that I don't have to let it beat me up and tear me down and pull me down and say I'm not worthy so that I wallow in my own filth and and am not able to reach out and help anybody else because I'm so consumed with my own pity. This is a way of reflecting the glory, the work that Jesus is doing 
in my heart. And so I reflect that to you and I say, take that and use it. You too cast that shame on Christ. It's not just anxieties and cares, it's shame that bogs us down and it's all different. We all struggle with different garbage. So, verse 18, and we end with this. So all of us who have had that veil removed in this room can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. So, I give you verse 18 that we just read for 2018. God has removed that veil for you and me so you can see Him. As you see Him, listen to Him. And trust Him. And you will reflect His glory. And the Lord will make you more and more like Him as you are changed. Little by little. Changed into His image. Image into His glorious image. This is the treasure we have in jars of clay. The glory of God and what He's doing in us in our hearts reflect that glory.